From Greensburg to Harrisburg, Waynesburg to Gettysburg, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, Governor Josh Shapiro has signed three executive orders, all of which will make it easier for Pennsylvanians to get back to work. David Taylor is joined by Rebecca Euler and Stephen Bloom for a Capital Watch roundtable discussion. And the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission has gone woke, banning battle reenactments at our most significant historical sites. I'll have a town hall commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capital Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first we have news headlines from patownhall.com. Republican State Representative Linda Schlegel-Culver won a special election on Tuesday to replace former Republican State Senator John Gordner in a mid-state district that includes Columbia, Montour, Northumberland, and Luzerne counties. Gordner resigned to take a job as legal counsel to Senate President Pro Tempore Kim Ward. Culver will add to the GOP majority in the Senate. Meanwhile, three special elections for state House seats will be held this coming week. All three districts are heavily Democratic, and if the party prevails in all three special elections, Democrats would move into a one-seat majority in the House. It is no secret that crime is on the rise in Philadelphia, but a new report from Broad and Liberty finds double-digit increases in all subcategories of property crimes, in some cases as much as 40 or 50 percent. The report shows retail theft jumped 52 percent from 2021 to 2022. Auto thefts increased by 36 percent. On the plus side, violent crime hit a high in 2021 and backed off a bit in 2022. Homicides were down by 9 percent, which is small consolation, when you consider more than 500 murders occurred during 2022. The largest increase, robberies committed with guns, were up 20%. According to the Center Square, Pennsylvania's energy landscape has undergone a seismic shift in the past 20 years. For decades, coal was the largest natural energy resource, but it has now been displaced by natural gas. Statistics from the Energy Information Administration show natural gas produced just 2% of Pennsylvania's electricity in 2001, but that share rose to 52% in 2021. Coal-fired electricity dropped from 57% in 2001 to just 12% in 2021. Nuclear-generated electricity provides 33% of our state's energy needs. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. Governor Josh Shapiro has signed three executive orders since taking office a few weeks ago. The impact will be to make it easier for businesses to expand in Pennsylvania, easier for workers to get professional licenses, and easier to get a job with the Commonwealth. Here to talk about the impact is our Capital Watch crew. David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation. 
David. And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me today, your Capital Watch all-stars, Steve Bloom, vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. Steve? Delightful to be here, David. Always a pleasure, sir. And also the outstanding Rebecca Euler, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. Rebecca. So great to be back, Dave. Thank you. Well, it is. It's Great to have the team together here, talk things through. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. Of course, you know, Governor Shapiro is now, you know, in office and uh, tall in the saddle. And that he's he's tried to do some, I think, some tone setting things for his new administration. And that, um, you know, wanted to start off with talking about a couple of these executive orders that he has put in place with, I think, with great fanfare. Um, the first being that he has lifted the requirement uh, of having uh, an undergraduate degree for most positions in state government, uh, recognizing that that most of those positions that had required that degree, it really wasn't necessary and opening up more opportunities for everyday Pennsylvanians to apply and, and maybe work for the Commonwealth. And it won't necessarily have a large impact. There aren't that many state jobs that require these degrees in the past, and there's only so many people who are going to apply and still be qualified without without the training that a degree sometimes symbolizes. But the the I think the emphasis here is is correct in opening up our workforce and making sure that we don't stigmatize people who haven't gotten a college degree, especially in this era when technical training is often so much more important, and that doesn't necessarily even mean technical training from a diploma-producing institution of some kind, but literally on-the-job technical training because our economy has become so complex and so dependent on technology. So anyone who has expertise in those fields that are in demand shouldn't be kept out of those government jobs in Pennsylvania just because they don't have the formality of a degree, if in fact they have the qualifications to do the work right. and do it well. Right. Absolutely. I think it sends a signal to young people that there are uh, options uh, that don't require expensive college degrees, that there are options that um, young people can choose from and places they can head in their career that don't require um, college degrees. So I do think it's an important signal for for folks and for young people in particular. We have a state that, that runs a very large and complex system of state own universities. Uh, most of them are producing, you know, students who have these degrees, bachelor's degrees or whatever degree it may be, that often don't really match the marketplace and aren't really that particular, aren't particularly useful to the person who earns it. Uh, I think this signifies that all of that is really up for grabs in the future economy. Does the state want to necessarily be subsidizing just these degree-producing institutions, or do they want to actually provide opportunities for anyone who wants to get the training to get the training? in some modular form that doesn't necessarily require that four-year degree. And now with this order, it, it encourages that sort of thinking because that person can get that, that good, steady government job with that, that type of training. Yeah. It's working to break down sort of the, the mythological status of how important a college degree is to someone's success. And again, I, you know, I obviously I went to college and earned a degree and I appreciate the fact that I had that opportunity. Yeah. And you turned out okay. I turned out okay, but there are many people that, 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 don't have that opportunity, but are still very skilled and can make right. a, a very positive contribution, not only to the work of their in, their employer, but to the good of the Commonwealth. And it's and it's a terrible um, cultural failing, um, and it's built up over many years, whereby we we sort of stigmatize any other choice that a young person might make 
other than pursuing the four-year degree, when in fact, it's not the right option for everybody, that there are other great careers that are waiting with, uh, you know, with manufacturing, with the skilled trades, with, you know, being a, a commercial driver, and that, um, you know, to have our society say, well, we don't really value those things, like that has been a terrible failing. And I really think that we're paying the price for it. We see the problems that we're having with, um, you know, with the workforce, finding enough people to, uh, you know, who have the talents to do the work that that needs to be done. And so, uh, again, this is a this is a small thing that Governor Shapiro has done um, on policy, but it, it has I, I still think it has larger meaning. And um, and I salute that. But that was the first. There were three of these things that he's done. Um, the uh, the second executive order was the uh, Pennsylvania Office of Transformation and Opportunity. That um, governor is saying here that he wants to streamline the bureaucracy and make state government work for ordinary people, and that that's why he's going to assemble his own personal SWAT team of um, of people inside state government to uh, uh, you know to hammer all the lumps out of things. Well, if anyone's ever tried to start a business in Pennsylvania. They know that it's it's anything but a one-stop shop. It's very complex. Um, I used to be an active – I'm still an attorney. I'm still a licensed attorney, but I used to be an active practitioner of law, and I worked with a lot of small business clients who were trying to form an enterprise of some kind. And they had to hire me. They had to hire a lawyer. And it, just to get through the basic structural setup and registration with the state and with the Department of Revenue and with the Department of Labor and Industry, uh, you know, department after department of complex regulatory structure that you had to hire legal counsel to get through. Uh, it's good. I, I like the sound of, of what, what uh, the governor's talking about here in terms of improving that process to make it easier for our small businesses. But I think that the proof's going to be in the pudding here because it's easy to say one-stop shop. It's hard to change the bureaucratic culture that yes. makes it so complicated. Yes, and that's exactly the point that I was going to going to lead to, which is to say that um, you know real success over time will be improving the performance and adjusting the attitude of the bureaucracies so that they do their jobs the way that they're meant to be done, and so that this kind of this kind of you know adult supervision um, you know no longer becomes necessary. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like the idea of having to um, helping businesses avoid having to go to multiple agencies for approvals, uh, for, um, you know, permits, for things that they, they have to go through, because that is really steep hill to climb, especially for small businesses, just like Steve said. But um, I would... I would suggest because most of the folks who work in these agencies have never worked in the private sector. A lot of them have never worked in the private sector and most have never mo worked in a small business. So they have never experienced what Steve's describing. It is a really steep hill to climb. They do not have the resources. They don't have in-house attorneys. They don't have in-house tax, you know, tax folks. They don't have in-house consultants to, in order to um, help them through some of these really difficult processes to run 
to set up and run a business um, in in the state. So um, I would suggest that a really good improvement to this um, idea would be to set up some sort of private sector um, advisory panel, uh, one that is made up of small businesses um, and folks who work in the private sector that right. can give really firsthand experience and um, tell tell this Office of Transformation and Opportunity where they're really hitting the roadblocks and where the ro- red tape is and can give them some real world suggestions. You're listening to Capital Watch. I'm your host, David Taylor from Pennsylvania Manufacturers. With me, Steve Bloom from Commonwealth Foundation and Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. Steve, as you said, it's it's <laughs> it's easy to promise it's a lot harder to to deliver on. So we'll see how it goes. And certainly, David, you you know you work obviously with with manufacturing industries, and you see the the work they do in Pennsylvania and the work they do in other states. And these these sorts of things, this idea of a one stop shop, it's it's not just something that that sounds good. Like it's very important if oh, we can yeah. pull it off in Pennsylvania, because right now we are losing that investment in in all sorts of economic sectors from people who look at Pennsylvania's laws and this complex web of regulatory approvals that's needed to do anything. Right. Uh, and they then look at some of our neighboring states and see how much easier it is. Uh, if, if all things being equal, their capital is mobile, they will choose the easier alternative that gets them up and running faster. Correct. Allows them to, to, to turn their investment into a, a profit and in the form of, of good products that people right. want and services people need Value and jobs added. that help people become successful. Uh, they will. They will. That's certainly mobile. People vote. Investors vote with their feet. So if yeah. we can actually get Pennsylvania to the point where there really is a one-stop regulatory shop, uh, that could be transformational for our economy. And that's, I guess, the kind of thing that the PA Office of Transformation and Opportunity should be focused on. Yes. Yes. And and again, fingers crossed. Here's hoping. The the other sort of big announcement that the the governor made. Um, and again, the intent here is is highly laudable about improving um, the building efficiency in the Commonwealth's permitting, licensing, and certification processes. So, making those processes more efficient, um, you know, helping people to get to yes faster. Um, you know, all of those things will be better for Pennsylvania, our business competitiveness, and and our economy overall. Um, you know, one of the uh, Selling points on on this executive order is a a money back guarantee that uh, that your application fees will be refunded if your permit is not authorized um, in the time period under state law, which is, you know, again, the 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 signal this sends is a good one, and that the administration is to be commended for uh, you know showing respect to the you know to the applicants to the citizenry to the customers of state government the larger problem is this that the thing that the the applicant actually needs is the permit itself that yeah if your permit's delayed and you get your 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 application feedback well that's 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 fine as far as it goes but the thing is you still need that permit and it's and until you have it you, the applicant, are not allowed to 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 commence with in, investing and opening and hiring and operating and do all that other stuff that you have every intent of doing, which is why you submitted the permit application in the first place. So, so you know, again, this is a – I don't want to say 
close, but not quite. I want to say this really is good as far as it goes, but it needs to go much further. If there is a delay in a, in a project waiting for a permit and, and you simply you, and you, you run past the, the new self-imposed deadline of the Commonwealth and you get your money back, but meanwhile you had purchased property, you had arranged to have equipment there to do construction work, you had worked with an architect to design a facility, you had signed contracts with builders, and you are ready to roll with your project, and you find that instead of being able to roll with your project, which meets all the criteria, the agency says, sorry, we ran out of time, here's your money back. That doesn't get you much satisfaction. No, sir. And it actually inflicts a very high economic cost. It's, it's not just, I mean, we talk about time as money, that's an abstract phrase, but yeah. this is literally dollars and cents because they have put assets in the field. They have right. bought things, they have rented things, they have borrowed money uh, on the markets in order to construct a facility that's going to be profitable for the lender and the borrower. Mm-hmm. And when all that gets stymied because the, the department of whichever department it is didn't get their permit out in time, really the return of the, the cost of the permit fee is is trivial in that mix. Right. So yeah, again, like you said, it's a great start. It's 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 sending the right signal, but I think it's something that needs to be further developed and enhanced so that it's not just uh, a a a um, elusive or illusionary benefit of getting your money back. That right. that doesn't get anyone right. anything. And, and Rebecca, there are specific things that government could do, like having a process of deemed approved, whereby you know if the the agency doesn't fulfill the responsibility of of approving the application in the time window that it's that it's an automatic yes yeah i believe that was a legislative proposal um a few years ago if not last session um whereby if an agency did not process an application um you know on time it would be a deemed approved application or permit request that would uh, solve this issue and i think it also would um actually force a change in the process um which is exactly what we need in this case. So I think it would force the agencies to have sort of a a vetting process at the head of the application process. So you'd you'd force um, an agency to really look at the applications that come in and and sort of put them in buckets. So these are sort of the easy ones. Uh, We think we we can approve these quickly. These are ones that need a closer look. So um, I think it, you would dedicate more staff to, prove, to them and and find right. a way to get them all done within that window. Exactly. I think that having a deemed approved process would be much more effective at forcing a change to the process up front where the change needs to happen. I'm not sure that the um, the you know money back guarantee is really going to force a change to the process. It might actually have the opposite effect is if agencies are forced to send money back, um, it might put some of those agencies in a difficult position of having to still maintain staff to process applications when they're losing money. Um, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily want that to happen either. Right. And, and this is something else where um, it's been really frustrating that even as application fees have gone higher and higher and higher, that you have these agencies saying, oh, gosh, we don't have enough people to process the, the, the permits. It's like, well, OK, here's what we should do, that the Funds from the applications may be spent only on 
that process of hiring the people who will review the permits so that, you know, that the department heads can't just take that money and then use it on whatever they want and then come back to the General Assembly and say, oh, gosh, we don't we just don't have the resources. It's like, OK, let's take the resources from those those applications and dedicate that primarily to the process of reviewing and and approving them. Or at least make it much more um, conscious. Make it a much more conscious decision of what resources are being focused and spent on that um, uh, review process. I don't think it is... um, at least it's not a transparent process of um, how that money is being spent on on the the processing of applications now. And it also, I don't know, it it also seems, at least for for industrial customers, that with the, well, I mean, what's the old joke? The DEP stands for don't expect permits. That um, that we. It seems as though the the, you know, the bureaucrats are are indifferent if they're not actively hostile to industrial activity and 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 business development, and thereby, you know, that slow walking the uh, the the permits is actually you know a kind of victory for them. You saw this with the the Allegheny County Health Department and making U.S. Steel wait for two years for their permits, and that finally that the company. You know, they had to take their investment somewhere else. Elsewhere, and that's that's the reality that I think sometimes gets forgotten in all this. We don't do this in in a vacuum in Pennsylvania. We do this in competition with every other state and every other country that wants to get that investment to their state or to their country. And so, there's a high cost to not doing these things, and getting the permits out in a time on a timely basis is critical to driving the whole investment process. So, this is important. Again, I want to encourage the governor. Like we're 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 glad he's doing this. But I hope that he will consider ways to put really more teeth in it for mm-hmm. the administrative agencies that they really do have something to lose if they don't get these permits out on time and that they're incentivized to get them out on time. Because it's it's tragic when we lose opportunities just because of bureaucratic red tape and bungling rather than some substantive reason. Right. It's and OK they, that we have regulations. Yeah. We want to have a, a safe, clean state. But we don't want to have one where where no one can even get to the point where their permits are being reviewed yeah. properly. Yeah, and and also just as just as one final point, Pennsylvania's small business startup rate is desperately low, like dangerously low, and these kinds of burdens, um, you know, are a big reason why. So, anyway. Sadly, that brings us to the end of the time that we have. Guys, thanks so much for being here. And um, Steve, where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? They can visit CommonwealthFoundation.org. Excellent. And Rebecca, where can people go to learn more about you? They can find the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association at PMTA.org. Outstanding. And as ever, you can find me online at PAManufacturers.org. From Steve and Rebecca and me, thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Capital Watch. And now, a town hall commentary from Loman Henry. Thank you, David. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. The book 1984 by George Orwell was published back in 1949 as a work of fiction. Replace the word party in that quote with left, and today it might well be considered accurate news reporting. In recent years, we have seen history being rewritten through the infusion of critical race theory or its precepts, 
and the New York Times' disgraceful 1619 project in our public schools. Statues of consequential historical figures have been removed. Military bases and other public facilities are being renamed. Using the Orwellian concept of newspeak, a complicit legacy media proclaims cleverly named misdirection, such as the Affordable Care Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, as actual fact, hiding from the people the true intent and impact of legislation and other official government actions. And the process is continuing, day by day and minute by minute. Here in Penn's Woods, the latest example of the Orwellian march to erase and sanitize history has been put into effect by the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission. This is particularly egregious in that the mission of that commission is to preserve and protect actual history. Pennsylvania is known as the Keystone State for very good reasons. It's not just that geographically we are located in the middle of what were the 13 original colonies. A walk back through history finds that many of the most significant developments in the birth and growth of our nation happened here. From the Declaration of Independence and Constitution being written and adopted in Philadelphia to the pivotal Civil War battlefield at Gettysburg to the tragic crash of Flight 93 in Somerset County, Pennsylvania has been, often unwillingly, at the center of the action. This experience tells us that history is not always good, and sometimes, as with the horrifying institution of slavery, our nation has been on the wrong side of history, but far more often than not, America has been an instrument of good, and the world has benefited greatly from the inherent industry and benevolence of our people. All too often, that history has been violent. Our forefathers fought a war to gain independence from Britain. As the powers of Europe sorted out their claims to territory in the New World, there were skirmishes. We fought a great civil war, and from time to time, there has been strife in the streets to achieve rights and to right wrongs. This history should be neither sanitized nor rewritten, but that is what the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission is doing. In what is now a quiet field in Westmoreland County, the Battle of Bushy Run was fought in August of 1763. According to the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, quote, the battle was part of Pontiac's War, a pan-native campaign that opposed British settlement west of the Allegheny Mountains. The British routed members of the Seneca, Cayuga, and Lenape nations. End quote. For decades, the Bushy Run Battlefield Historical Society has staged reenactments of that battle. This may never happen again. The Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission has imposed a so-called, quote, no force-on-force policy, meaning you can't have two sides shooting at one another. Obviously, you cannot reenact a battle without two sides shooting at one another, so the event, which served as the society's largest fundraiser, cannot be held. Even more egregious than the adoption of this woke restriction is the fact it was imposed not by legislative action, not by vote of the Historical and Museum Commission, but put into place by staff, the deep state bureaucrats who act unencumbered by due process, public opinion, or any sort of accountability to the taxpayers who pay their salaries. All of this is symptomatic of a larger problem, which is that the legislature creates these commissions and then provides little or no oversight, allowing the bureaucrats to promulgate regulations designed to further their ideological agendas. 
The bottom line is the very organization tasked with preserving and protecting our nation's history is now perverting it in an Orwellian drive to fit the left's agenda. It is now time for the legislature to do its job and provide the oversight needed to rein in this rogue agency before our history is lost to the ages. With a town hall commentary, I'm Loman Henry. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. It's time once again to talk about the annual Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, which is the premier gathering of grassroots conservatives every year here in the Keystone State. This year's Pennsylvania Leadership Conference will be held March 30th through April 1st at the Penn Harris Hotel in Camp Hill. Kellyanne Conway will be the featured dinner speaker, and Guy Benson of Fox News will be the luncheon speaker. As always, John Gizzi of Newsmax will headline the conference breakfast. There will be workshops, seminars, panels, and speakers, complete information, and registration for the 2023 Pennsylvania Leadership Conference can be found at PennsylvaniaLeadershipConference.org. That's PennsylvaniaLeadershipConference.org. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.